but that's the mystery that it makes it so much fun and such a joy too of the creative endeavor is there is it is not a formula it is it is this brave desert that there is no rules you are just out there with courage trying to find something and there's moments where it's unfairly easy and there's moments where it's unfairly difficult and that's just like life Most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. We all have our own road to walk. Nothing's perfect and there's going to be a price for everything. There are no rules. Welcome to The Resistance, featuring meaningful conversations. I think I'm grieving the death of part of me. It's not about being the star and being seen, it's about... That explore that very space between who we are and who we say we want to be. I'm your host, Matt Connor. These days, I'm finding myself torn creatively between a couple places. I mean, really, when I say these days, I mean most days, let's be honest. The two ends of the spectrum can be labeled interesting to me and interesting to someone else. It's the writing that I want to accomplish just because I'm passionate about the idea. And then there's the writing that someone else is actually paying me for and demanding. It's the stuff that actually pays my bills. For anyone wrestling with any creative output of any kind, this likely sounds very familiar. After all, we're all born with some sort of internal compass that drives us creatively in various directions to create what interests us or intrigues us at any given moment. Yet we're also prone to allow other voices in for various reasons. I mean, for me, it's honestly the need to pay my bills. So, Of course, I'll write for you whatever you want, if that's what will allow me to keep going. Today's guest on The Resistance is singer-songwriter Matt Carney. I'll never forget the first time I heard one of Matt's recordings. It was a song called Renaissance off of his very first album, the songs that eventually made up his debut, Nothing Left to Lose. It was really loose and sparse acoustic melody, and yet he had this spoken word approach that was so captivating. And these long 16-bar verses with his own cadence. It was still a time where music was categorized into these separate bins of genre. It shouldn't have worked, and yet it worked so well. 15 years later, and Matt says he's still trying his best to stay connected to the innocence of that first project. Several albums have come and gone, and he's quick to admit that not every project has followed that internal compass as well as he'd like. There are industry pressures. There are critical responses. It turns out that none of us are immune to the voices that seek to shape what we'd like to create. This spring, Matt's back with a brand new album entitled January Flower. He says the same carefree vibe that he had on those early recordings is back on this set of songs. And what that means is that the only thing that matters to him is if he's into it. Other than that, if we're all along for the ride, so be it. You've likely heard some of that attitude play out in the wonderful early singles like Powerless or Grand Canyon. Trust me, I've heard the whole thing, and it's just got a great vibe. Matt's also been a great conversationalist over the years in various interviews we've done, and this one's no different. So we're quite happy to have him as our latest guest on this episode of The Resistance.
Hello and welcome to The Resistance. My name is Matt Connor, which sounds eerily like Matt Carney, my guest for today. How are you, Matt? I'm good. They do sound the same. We were just discussing beforehand the uh, the similarities there. I'm not sure if there are other similarities, but I hope that you're never mistaken for me. I, on the other hand, try my best to get mistaken for you all the time. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I don't know. That's not yeah, a good thing. Uh, I know I kept listening to your interviews and I kept hearing, um, this is Matt Connor. Connor. I'm like, wait, does that me? That sounded like me. I don't something. Yeah. There's, there's a, uh, Matt something with a, with a glottal stop <laughs> beginning. We're very similar. I don't know that I've ever heard that term, but I, I like it a lot. It's a, yeah, it's the one I, it's the only one I got. <laughs> Matt, I'd love to, um, I'd love to start where we start all of our interviews, and and you've already said you're very familiar with the book The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Do you remember the first time you came across that work? I do. I was I just moved to Nashville, and I was pursuing music. I just remember that quote of like the difference between professional writers and amateur writers is a professional writer writes every day, and I just was like very. Mm just gripped by that quote of like, you just yeah. got to do it. You got to find a way to do your thing every day. And I just, it really stuck with me. It really kind of demystifies the whole process for me, at least in terms of writing or creating of any kind, which is like really important, I think for growth. Yeah. Well, Pressfield opens his book with this quote. And so uh, this is where we start each episode and where I'd love to start with you. Pressfield writes this. Most of us have two lives the life we live and the unlived life within us. And between the two stands the resistance. You've said you've read that book multiple times earlier as we were talking. What does that resistance look like for you this far into your career? It's changed over the years, the resistance. There's always a a different one, um, different face of that. I feel like for me these days, the resistance has looked like kind of returning almost to the beginning of just this kind of like passion, unedited, childlike drive and passion in what I do and in my creation. And, you know, kind of silencing this audience that maybe I've built a life with, the history of what I've done the like known successes of certain moves in my career and kind of returning back to that, like, do I love this? Is this something I love? And that's not always easy to decipher at times, you know, like that's, that's been the journey of this new record I'm working on. And it's been incredibly life-giving to kind of challenge that, that thing of like, do I love this? Like, is that's it? That's the only, that's the guiding force. Do I love this? Do I want to play for my homies in their car? Like those are the two rules of this record. <laughs> my brother, my brother, yeah, I used to make records just for my brother to like, you know, I'm like, would Patrick like this? Hmm. And that has been kind of the North star of this project. And it's been oddly some of the best stuff I feel like I've done in a really long time. I, I want to dive further into that, but I want to contrast it. Take me to other albums in between. And what were some of the other questions you were asking? Well, I mean, my first record, the biggest, you know, Nothing Left to Lose was my big record. I just got um, commercially the most successful, probably. And there was no, there was literally the resistance was more about like primal things like, hey, do we have a recording studio? Do we have money to record this? But like, as far as creatively, it was just like, that's all I did. That's all I wanted to do. 
all I lived for was writing songs. The resistance of that record was external, not internal. And then it did really well out of nowhere. No, nobody expected it. You know, we took out a loan and at the time we had like 15, 20 grand to make this record, which was a huge amount of money to us at the time. <laughs> and we made this album and I don't, yeah, just wrote whatever I wanted, whatever I thought was cool, whatever I thought was interesting, 16 bar verses, which is ridiculously long. <laughs> just didn't care, man. Just was like, Hey, I'm doing what I want. Yeah. And then, you know, fast forward to it's a gold record, whatever it explodes. The reality of the second record, the sophomore thing is so real. Mm. Then the challenge is like, what voices are you allowing to shape? So then in my city of black and white record, I, I look back at that season and and I love that record still, but I feel like I maybe gave, I was worried about doing the wrong thing at times. Hmm. I heard Harry Styles say that on NPR the other day and I really resonated with it. He's like, <laughs> 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 he's, he's worried about doing the wrong thing as opposed to just doing something what you love. And that would be my critique of that album is there's a lot of like certain decisions I made that were not productive or fruitful. The next record was this young love record that had this song called Ships in the Night and these other ones that did really well. And I actually was like, like, screw it. We're just going for it. I'm going to do, I'm going to do this stuff. I don't even know if this is cool or not. I'm just doing what I want. And then that one did well. It's crazy how that always works for me. And then the next record, I tried to recreate it maybe on some levels and had my unsuccessful moment. And then the next record, I just did my own thing. And then that was probably successful. So generally, if I don't care about anything but what I love, it tends to be even more successful. Uh, <laughs> but it's just hard to get yourself to do that at times. Can you drill down just a bit for me on that? Like when you point to City of Black and White, for example, and you say, I listen to that and I, could, I feel like I was making some decisions based on not doing the wrong thing. Is there a specific that you can point to and say, this is how that was working out in my creativity? And and I, must, I, I have to preface just because I'm, I don't know why I really still love that record. I, I maybe see that in my decision-making. I don't know if the result, like some people that's their favorite record I've made. It's hard to like have someone's experience reflect that, but there was a freedom that was missing for my experience. Like I remember my first record, I mean, I was learning how to do music and I couldn't sing that well early on in my writing process. So I would do a lot of spoken word and I was a lot, influenced a lot by like hip hop music, but I would like have a guitar and kind of almost rap these verses and then sing a little simple chorus, but just to like a guitar, that would be like what I did most of the day. And that really people were like, whoa, that's weird. But then I remember after Nothing Left to Lose, there was like, I'll never forget this Rolling Stone interview or, or review of that record. And they were just bashing that side of my music. They're like, you can't do this. Like a white guy can't. Cause it, when I came up, like the context of you had to sort of, to have any sort of urban influences, you had to like be from that world where yeah. that's kind of died. Now anyone can do anything they want. You can borrow from anywhere. You can put on a cowboy hat if you want. You don't have to be from Mississippi or Alabama or but that was that kind of genre thing had been so ingrained in the critic in that 80s mentality of like rock section, rap section. And you had to like be from a specific neighborhood to do that kind of music that I really, you know, kid from Eugene, Oregon, who was a skater who grew up on Tribe Called Quest, just wanted to use some of those influences. 
was not accepted. And I think I listened to that. And like, mm. I, I was also really in, involved in, I had moved to Nashville and I was really into singer songwriter records like Neil Young and Emmylou Harris. So there was a natural thing in my heart where I was like, not really into like kind of the beats and the like, I was more into the Bob Dylan side of my influence than like the Tribe Called Quest. But I think I maybe got scared of that side of what made me really good because of pushback and didn't realize that one of the more successful and beautiful things of what I did was like this kind of form of art that pushed people to make a decision to hate it or like it. And I, I've, the longer I've done this, the more I've realized that is like an important thing to do at times. And it's for me, weirdly, one of the most challenging things to do. I love people liking me. (laughs) If I'm being totally honest, like, I mean, if I'm just being totally vulnerable, it's like, I like that people like something and it's painful for me for someone not to like that interview. Like that review is painful for me to read. Mm. But weirdly, when I pursue those things that cause people to make decisions, I'm like, I don't care if this half of the room doesn't like it. I know this half of the room will freak out over it. That seems to be the most successful art I do. And, and I see that in other artists too, you know, that's a, a, a very valuable thing to make people decide. I, I love that. I'm I'm drawn to that. It makes me curious about this pandemic year. Earlier we were talking and you said you've largely, you know, been home and planned on being home this year. And then you had a newborn, you have a three, a three-year-old too. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. When you lack the chance to be out and about receiving some of that validation on the road, does that mess with your head being at home? No, I I don't really like live is something that I've grown. I think I've gotten good at putting on shows. I love it. I just finished an acoustic tour. Some of those are some of the most rewarding things I do. But no, I am at my core a uh, songwriter, creator, producer. That's the stuff that gets me going in the morning. Shows are awesome. I love them. But man, I've been I played a couple thousand shows at this point in my life. Like I don't come from the John Mayer, Corey Henry jazz where like the expression of their instrument is what is there just gets them going. I'm, I'm more like when I write a song that just is like rip your heart out. Good. That is my drug of choice. When I'm sitting in my living room and I know I've, I've found that thing. You're like, Whoa, this is good. If I had to choose one side of what I do, that would be the one that is really gets me going. The last song that made you feel that way. Uh, that I wrote. Yes. Or just someone else. No, um, see, I've been in producer mode for so long that I haven't written. I, I kind of put down the pen for a minute when I'm trying to finish an album because I it just convolutes the process if I keep writing. I would say there's a song called Can't Look Back, which actually we're just releasing. I don't know when this airs, but it's coming out right now. So it's probably going to be out. But I was really, I had this chorus that I really struggled. I, it, it was like, it's called Can't Look Back. You can't look back. You can't look back. There ain't no future in the past. You can't look back. Simple, right? And I just kept trying to write into that concept. For every time you, someone told you no. And I tried to like really Nashville it and write into the concept of can't look back. Hmm. And I just, it was like, no, this is lame. This is lame. This is lame. And one day I was sitting in my living room and I just was like, you know, what would I like to hear? What would I just really enjoy listening to over and over again? I was like, some weird stories, you know? with a really simple concept like that, maybe just something that's total left field in the verses. Like, and I wrote these 
this this story. And I, I one time we me and my friends were in Sayulita on this radio trip, and we met this guy named Sonny who had a Volkswagen van. We we're eating tacos, and he's like, "Hey, do you want to go meet this Argentinian princess royalty?" We're like, "Okay, let's do that." So we jumped in his van. <laughs> we drove to the middle of nowhere, and he woke up this old lady and she came out and she made food for us and we were kind of you know we'd had some beers and someone pulled out a guitar and started singing one guy was singing like a hymn and then we all decided to go surfing in the ocean or body or we went swimming so we ended up all skinny dipping me and my friends in the ocean <laughs> and then like we're I was just like I would like to write about that night and I just wrote mm -hmm. this crazy verse and just well what's another story you really remember fondly and wrote and I tied them all back into this, like, you can't look back. And it just was this magic moment. I was like, yes, I want to play this song for myself over and over again. And those are the moments that I just, I search for is this, the, when, the, when all, the, all the stars align and the songs are easy and they just make sense. I was on a train out of New Mexico Looking for a flame for my heart of cold So my knock on lands to get out of town Relate that for me to your creative process. Some artists that I'll chat with have a really sort of laborious process and, and editing yeah. is the good work for them. And, and so sort of over and over and over on the work, you, you're almost talking about the opposite, maybe wherein some of the best work is the ones that, you know, which is, you're not the only one. Other artists certainly talk about like, oh, the song wrote itself in 30 seconds, you know, or whatever. And so I guess I just wonder for you, is, the, is it just one or the other, or are, are there some songs where it's like, oh, no, 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 that one was hard labor, and I love it because of that? You just asked me the question that I ask every writer I ever have a chance with. Because if you want to talk about the greatest resistance in my life, you in writing in my art, you just nailed it in that question, in that, yes, the best songs I've ever written, Bob Dylan talks about, they wrote themselves. Like, as fast as I could put the pen down to the pad, that's the best song. And... Mm. I have had that experience. Nothing left to lose. Uh, Come on, we'll see that song. I mean, I wrote that in like a half an hour. Just, I just wrote it, and it was mm. so easy. And there are songs I've worked on for years, and they're terrible still. And uh, that is so frustrating <laughs> to me. There is no job security in that. There is no reward. My brother's a lawyer. There's no billable hours to that kind of profession. <laughs> right, right. But that's the mystery that it makes it so much fun and such a joy too of the creative endeavor is there is, it is not a formula. It is, it is this brave desert that there is no rules. You are just out there with courage trying to find something. And there's moments where it's unfairly easy and there's moments where it's unfairly difficult. And that's just like life, man. And that's why I think this creative endeavor is like, uh, 
such an interesting, beautiful, worthy calling. But yes, there are songs that were super easy. Some of the best stuff, they're just, they exist. You just get it as fast as you can write them down. And they generally are the best songs. Pains me to even say that because I don't want to believe that's true. But then there are a few songs like Ships in the Night was a song that I that did really well for me. And it took me six months to find those verses. Hmm. I always return to that one song. I'm like, but there was ships in the night. Like that song, <laughs> you had to work for it. <laughs> but but generally for me, it's it's finding those moments of aha. Yes. So they, they may be small bur- bursts, but they are bursts for me. If I'm trying to like arm wrestle a lyric or a song into place, it's generally not the best one. So for me, that could mean putting it down for a minute. It could mean having the discipline in the moment where it's easy to write to make sure I finish that thing. Like, nope, this is, this, this is too easy right now. Write the freaking second verse, you know? That I have to be very conscious and that's like discipline looks like me in these days is, dude, this is too easy. Remember this moment in two months when you can't write a song, write the second verse right now. Just write something. Even if you don't like it, just try because generally you like it, you know, hmm. there you go. Was was Grand Canyon <laughs> that way? Uh, uh, it was the first single. Yeah. My newest single was easy. Yes. It just kind of happened. It was, it was the one. My buddy Eli Teplin, who's a crazy songwriter, was in town. He was staying in my studio. A lot of this new record we had kind of started out. We went out to Joshua Tree, and it was a week of writing with one of my best friends painting. We were just like, let's be creative and just hang. So me and Eli writing songs. Marshall was painting in the corner, and we just we lost power randomly because it was this house off the grid in the middle of nowhere. I brought all the studio gear and all this mics and speakers. And I'm like, I guess we can't use it. So we just had a candle and a guitar and we ended up writing, you know, it ended up being this whole moment of like, Oh, this is so we, we just, I need to return to this thing, guitar and me. And it was actually really serendipitous. And so Eli came to town and we were like, let's do more of that. And we'd set up some rights with people. Trent Dabbs was one of my good friends. He's a songwriter and Robert Marvin, this guy that I've worked on all my records with. And we had all these formal rights going. And then, of course, one night I'd said, Grand Canyon. Oh, that's a good title. And we're like, well, if it wasn't about the Grand Canyon, but it was like a metaphor. And then as the session's winding down and we had been grinding on this one song, we just wrote it and, you know, produced the whole track. And again, it was like, happened that evening in in a matter of hours. Just, yeah, okay, that's easy. And it's was one of my favorite moments. Tell me why it feels like there's a grand canyon between us. Tell me how you're feeling because I can't stand the distance. You know we started with love and it still is enough to believe in us. Tell me why it feels like there's a grand canyon. The stars don't shine right from now with you.
I I love what you said earlier about like I mean you said there's no billable hours here like it, the whole thing being this mystery. Yeah, I'm also curious are there things that you've managed to learn about maybe the environment that you can create for lightning to strike in all the experiences it just really I'm a total rookie and I I just learned to No, you know. no, totally. Like there's a skill set that's gotten better. There's like, I'm not writing 16 bar verses anymore. Like that's a good move, honestly, for the listener. They're like, yeah, this is, I'm exhausted of this verse. You do build a skill set. Like you, you have, you do have like things that work. Like we're struggling to find the chorus. Well, okay. The verse is landing on the one every time. You know, I've learned that if I like pick up before the one, then it'll be really Tell me why it feels like there's a one. Can you tell? Na, 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 na. Like you're picking up before the one. You learn these little tricks that like you you have some some skills to work. Like you got jukes. If you're like Steph Curry, you're like, well, I know my crossover works. It <laughs> opens me up for this like jumper or you're, you can lean on if you need them. So totally you have that bag of tricks that, that helps you. Yeah. The more swings at bat the more i put myself in the room the more i've got people that inspire me around me the more times at bat totally you're going to get those moments of inspiration that is 100% true as much as it is this kind of aha moment but yeah the i set up that week to write with my friends you know if i wouldn't have set up that week and grinded for a couple songs we probably wouldn't have found grand canyon really easily that evening so i think they they all work together of you like working hard creates kind of moments. I hope that create these aha moments that are really effortless. And it feels like the muse steps in and God steps into the room or whatever way you describe it. Like I think they work together. Hmm. I want to believe they do. Cause I want my hard work to mean something. You sound very healthy right now. Like you sound like, <laughs> I mean, you do, you sound, you sound like, Someone who's been at this long enough to know what works, what doesn't, what's healthy, what's not, what boundaries to put up, and to allow for what you really want and value most, and for substantive art to emerge. Does it feel that way to you on the inside? I feel like I am having a lot of fun, and there's some joy that's returned to this process. Another form of resistance as you do it for a minute is it doesn't mean one thing anymore. I wanted to do music only because it was all I wanted to do. That was it. There was no job. There was no career. When I started, it was just like, that's really fun. I, you want to go see a movie? I'd rather stay home and write a song. That sounds so fun. Hmm. So it was this passion. Then people get into it. And then it becomes like more nuanced. Wow, this is my job. Wow. Oh, this pays my mortgage. Oh, this is like this pays for my kids' diapers. This takes me away from home actually now. Mm -hmm. This is a nuanced thing. This isn't just one thing. It's like this broad spectrum of a lot of things. But to come back and return to some of that passion in the beginning of like, hey man, I just love doing this. Let's try to hold on to those moments is really healthy for me and my personality because I tend to like to try different things. Even the music that put me on the map was this very like genre bending thing. So for me, sometimes of like simplifying that for me, you're still allowed to do whatever you want, but you really have to like it. That's it. That's the only rule has been really life-giving and 
we'll see if anybody likes it. But so far, when I play it for my community around me, they're really responding to the art that we've come up with this year. So, but time will tell. How easy is it for you to protect that innocence? It's incredibly difficult. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it's it's been it's been different at different times in my life. For me, I, I would say my critique of myself is that I there's a a a success oriented thing that can step in where you're like, oh, I could do that. That looks success. Like if I put on this hat, it could work. And kind of silencing that voice or being smart about like, it's okay to be aware of culture. It's okay to be aware of trends and like, how do you dialogue with that? But at the end of the day, let's not chase anything. Let's just like do what we know and what we love and what you want to play for your brother in the car. And let's make that the goal so that then you're a little bit bulletproof, you know? I mean, like you go home and if you're excited to play your songs for yourself, it's hard to argue with that. Matt, one more for you, because what you just said sounds like wonderful advice. And yet if I were scrambling, if I were someone who had not made this a career, it might sound like, well, of course you can say that because you've, you have an audience, you have a, an established platform, et cetera. Would you still say, no, 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 no. That advice is the right advice to follow no matter where you're at. Or would you have something different to say to someone who's like, I'm just trying to make this work, man. No, I, I get, I get the tension of like, dude, I got to pay my bills. And this guy's having me mix country songs that I don't really care about. Sure. That is never leaves the room. And that in much as I'm saying that I still have to go play, you know, when I'm playing shows, I'll play, I've played private events, which pay for a lot of things. And they're awful. They're the worst thing on earth. <laughs> they're soul sucking. <laughs> like he's just like, but they, but they're, they're the, for me, what that times that are paying the bills. So I understand the tension of that, but yeah. no, when it comes to your art and the, the passion that's driving you, I think it's the most true statement is if you aren't loving it, what are you doing? Like, that's not, if you can't be excited about it, who is? Yeah. I understand different personalities. That is hard because granted at the end of a record, when I'm done and I've worn everything out and I don't know which end is up, that's a reality after every record too. As much as I'm sounding confident right now, I have low moments where I'm like, dude, I don't know which end is up. Maybe I, this is all terrible. I'm terrible. I'm a joke. Mm. Yes. Every artist has those peaks and valleys. And I do not deny that that is a reality in my life, nor should anyone be scared of those feelings or those voices. But I do think that driving passion of you loving something, you, that's the infectionist. That's the thing. It's like, there was this interview between Rick Rubin and T-Bone Burnett and T-Bone was like, I don't even know. I, I went through this season where I didn't even know what note to play. I didn't, I, I was like, are notes like a thing? And I just, I was kind of deconstructing everything. And he goes, and he met this guy who said, Hey, well, when you do find a note and you decide that that's the one, then that is the one. And mm. there's something about like you and your commitment and passion to something that is the attraction of other people. There is no right or wrong. There is no yes or no. There is no like formula. It's like you inviting people into something you're passionate about is also the draw it's the it's the exciting part and the attraction and it's like 
you're the Steve Jobs saying like, no, you don't need a button on that phone. Nope, no button. <laughs> and people are like, no, I need a button. You're like, no, 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 you trust me, you don't need a button. That that has to be some has to be some of that in in my art. At least I've found that to be true for me. Or yeah. else it doesn't resonate. If it doesn't, if it's not starting with me, then I, it's hard to ask someone else to have that feeling about what you do. listening to the resistance if you've enjoyed this episode please rate us on itunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app and for more information and further episodes you can find us at listen to the engineering production and additional music by jake kirkpatrick my name is matt connor and i'm your host thanks for listening